I wonder if you've ever felt the temptation to doubt your faith. Perhaps when life has taken a turn that you didn't expect. Have you ever been surprised by a series of challenging events that you didn't think would come your way as a Christian? Well, the possibilities are endless, aren't they? We could face relational breakdowns, a betrayal of some sort, of someone we trusted, perhaps someone close to us, someone we looked up to in the faith, turned away from Jesus. What about personal struggles such as illness or bereavement? What about ongoing opposition to our faith from someone in a position of power? There are many ways we can be tempted to doubt when life with Jesus takes a turn for the worst that we just didn't see coming. Well, John the Baptist had been doing his best to prepare the nation of Israel for the coming of the Messiah. John was a serious man and he had a serious brief. And that was to preach a message of repentance, symbolised by the rite of baptism. He told people that they needed to get their house in order. They needed to clean up their lives, turn back to God and prepare themselves for the coming of Israel's true king. And if they weren't ready by the time he arrived, they would be caught unawares and they would be in danger of his judgment. John preached messages such as this. I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he'll clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John looked forward to the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus, who he knew would bring about God's justice and righteousness to Israel and the world. He would have had memorised the words of the prophet Malachi, who spoke of John's own role as well as the Messiah's in these words. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And so John had done his job as the forerunner who would point to the Messiah. He'd pointed people to Jesus of Nazareth and told them to follow him. And John went, uh, Jesus went about preaching the good news of the kingdom of heaven and performing signs and wonders, healing many people. And John continued preaching repentance, even to the upper echelons of society. The ruler of Galilee, Herod Antipas, was a bit of a playboy. He had seduced his own brother's wife and then divorced his own wife to marry her. Now, John spoke out against Herod's behaviour, but instead of listening to him, Herod put him in prison, bringing John's ministry to a sudden end. John would have known his life was now hanging by a thread. His life spent on behalf of Jesus had taken a turn for the worse that he didn't see coming. And such a predicament would have focused his mind. 
He had done his best to prepare the nation for the coming of the Christ. And now Jesus had come. But where was righteousness? Where was the winnowing fork of justice? Where was the refiner's fire purging evil from Israel? Herod was sinning with impunity. And John, the preacher of righteousness, was unjustly imprisoned for speaking the truth. Meanwhile, Jesus was preaching good news, teaching people about the kingdom of heaven and performing miracles. Like a prophet, perhaps. But is it certain that this is really Israel's Messiah? If so, where is the day of reckoning? And so John began to have doubts. Perhaps he had pointed to the wrong person. Perhaps there was another yet to come. And now John knew Jesus to be a good and righteous man at least, and so he knew he could ask him directly and get a straight answer. And so we read that John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And in verse 4, we read Jesus' reply, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, on the surface, it looks as though Jesus is merely stating what John already knows, that Jesus is a worker of miracles and a preacher. But Jesus' miracles on their own are not enough to convince John that Jesus is more than a prophet. After all, Moses performed signs. Elijah performed signs. That didn't make them the Messiah. But Jesus is not actually pointing to his miracles alone. He's pointing to them in a particular context. He's actually paraphrasing passages from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 29.19 says, In that day... The deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 similarly says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And Isaiah 61, 1 says, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. These passages are summarised by Jesus in his response to John. These passages speak of the dawning of the new age of the kingdom of God. And in paraphrasing these passages, Jesus is telling John that he, Jesus, is performing the signs of the new age of which Isaiah speaks. He is the agent of these signs. They're happening through him. He is the one through whom the new day is dawning. And so with that answer, he's telling John to relax and trust that Jesus is indeed the one who was to come. Interestingly, if you read those passages in Isaiah in context, you'll find they also speak of God's judgment in the time of reckoning. John would have known that. 
And so the implication seems to be that if Jesus is indeed performing the signs of the kingdom as he is, John can trust Jesus with the outstanding question of unresolved injustice and wait for God's timing. If Jesus is doing the signs of the kingdom, he can also bring the justice of the kingdom too. And so in verse 6, Jesus says to John, and he says to all present, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, blessed is anyone who doesn't take offence at me. Blessed is anyone who doesn't trip over me because they were looking for someone else to be the Messiah. Blessed is anyone who doesn't let their own expectations of who the Messiah should be blind them to who I truly am. John seems to have expected, as many did in that day in Israel, that the Messiah would immediately act in judgment on the unrepentant. And it's right to long for justice. John was a practical man who preached that people should repent and act justly. And we should all pursue justice and mercy in our respective spheres of influence. This does make a real difference and it witnesses to the kingdom of heaven. Not only as individuals, but society as a whole. Governments should act justly. Justice is not an optional pursuit, and we should be grieved when it is absent. But sometimes God requires us to wait patiently for justice because perfect justice will never be achieved this side of heaven. And John was at risk in his doubting. He was at risk of tripping over Jesus, of stumbling on account of Jesus, because John's own vision of justice was not immediately met in Jesus' ministry. And this can be a risk for us as well. We see that Jesus' first coming has not brought about the perfect society. We see injustice remaining in the world. We see injustice even in the church. And Jesus does not immediately intervene. And we can begin to wonder, have we put our faith in the right saviour? Or should we wait for someone else? Have we chosen the right religion? Or should we choose another or none at all? Should we trust in another solution, perhaps a political party, for example? Should we adopt a philosophy of radical altruism rather than putting our faith in Jesus? Should we try to bring about this perfect justice ourselves, this justice that is so grievously outstanding? Or is it not worth the bother? And is cynicism and despair the only way forward? The problem is waiting for a saviour to meet our expectations never ends. If we're looking for our own vision of justice to be enacted, no matter how valid our sense of injustice might be, we're ultimately waiting for someone fashioned after our own priorities. And in that sense, what we're really waiting for is not God's Messiah as he is revealed, but we're waiting for a figment of our imagination. In fact, a glorified version of ourselves. John the Baptist was in danger of tripping over Jesus in a quest to find a Messiah who would have John's priorities. He was at, at risk of tripping over Jesus in a quest to find a bigger version of himself. But of course, John would be waiting for a very long time if he kept that up. 
And John, along with us, would lose his anchor for hope because in looking for our own vision of justice to be enacted in our time and according to our priorities, we'll be left with insecurity, fear, and we'll either despair or we'll double down in judgmentalism and be at risk of taking justice into our own hands. And meanwhile, we'll be closed off to what God is doing right in front of us. We'll be closed off to the Messiah who has been revealed in accordance with Scripture. This is what it means to stumble on account of Jesus, to trip over him, to to fail to see him for who he is and to trust him because he doesn't meet our expectations, because he takes us by surprise. But let's not be too hard on John. And Jesus is not too hard on him. In fact, rather than put him down, he lifts him up. If you have a look at verse 7, Jesus speaks to the crowd about John. He says, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Perhaps that was a slice shot at Herod. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. When John's ministry commenced, all the people took the time to travel out to the wilderness to see and hear John preach. They didn't take the trouble of the journey because they expected a fickle and unreliable person, like a reed swayed by the wind. Neither did they go out to see a show, as they might gather, for example, to see a royal figure. They knew why they went out to see John. They went out to hear a prophet bring them a message from God. This was a rugged, fiery preacher that they went out to hear. It had been a long time since a prophet arose in Israel, and the people didn't intend to miss it. And yet Jesus points out that John was more than the prophets who had come before. As Malachi had foretold, this was a man who would prepare the way for the Messiah, no less. And in accordance, uh, according to his role in the history of Israel, he was the greatest prophet who ever arose. Why? Because of his role in pointing directly to the Messiah. All of those who came before pointed to the Messiah more ambiguously, definitely for sure, but ambiguously. There wasn't the clarity of revelation. But with John, he actually points to Jesus, says, here is the Christ. This man is the one you ought to follow. No one ever had a role as great as that prior to John. And yet amazingly, Jesus says the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater in some sense than John the Baptist. This does not mean greater in worth. All of God's children are equal in his sight. We have equality with John the Baptist. We're not greater than him. He's not greater than us in sense of worth. But we are greater in role than John. That is to say, it seems that those in the kingdom of heaven, those us here today who are not merely looking forward to the Messiah but know him and trust him as we do in this age of the kingdom, we are able to point to Jesus with even greater clarity than even John the Baptist could. It's a privilege in my role as a minister to perform weddings from time to time. And in a wedding party, everyone is of equal worth 
And yet, according to the role of the day, some are more important than others. I don't need the entire bridal party to be together uh, to perform a wedding rehearsal. I do need the bride and groom. And I really do want to see the ring bearer there as well, if they're having a ring bearer. And I conducted a wedding recently in which a young boy uh, performed the role of ring bearer. And I would say that in the bridal procession, not according to worth, but according to role, he was one of the most important people in the room. And there's that moment of tense anxiety. I've got to admit, I feel it when it's time for the ring bearer to come forward and give the ring to me. And it has to go from his hands to mine, mine to the, the, the bride and the groom. And we're not allowed to drop it. And I've got a microphone in one hand, perhaps a book in the other, and it's all a little bit of a juggling act. <laughs> so far, I haven't dropped it. But that little boy is more important than everyone else in that bridal procession, except for two people, the bride and the groom. The ring bearer points symbolically to the wedding more than any other member of the bridal party, but the bride and groom themselves are the centre of attention. Well, let me take this forward. The bride of Christ, that's us, the church, is able to point to Christ with greater clarity than John, who was like a ring bearer. And though his role in pointing to Christ was greater than anyone else who came down the aisle in the procession of Old Testament prophets, still the bride is greater. Because she points, as the bride of Christ, that's us, the church, we point to Christ we know Christ more intimately. We point to him more clearly than anyone who came before. And what a privilege that is. What a privilege it is to be able to point to Jesus so unambiguously. And at St. Alfred's, at this season of the year, there are many uh, preparing for missions of various kinds, whether they be with Scripture Union, uh, whether they be with uh, CMS, and uh, perhaps you're planning to go to Summer Under the Sun, the CMS annual conference, and, and, and there we celebrate and we, we learn and we process and we seek to learn to live out our privilege as ambassadors for Christ. And I wonder if you're involved in that or if you're praying for that or if you're involved in mission in a more informal capacity this, this season. Just take a moment to consider that in pointing to Jesus in word and deed, you actually have a greater role than even John the Baptist, as great as he was. Well, as we point to Jesus and wait for his perfect justice in the age of the kingdom, he calls us to patience, calls us to let go of our own expectations of him and to trust him. He calls us to work for justice, but to hold our vision of justice with an open hand and to trust Jesus with his. Yes, the kingdom of heaven has dawned. It will bring perfect justice. You can see that already happening in the pages of Scripture that show the signs of the kingdom Jesus performed. And there are many signs and wonders that go on around the world today in his power. But he went deeper than all who came before. He brought restoration to those that Israel in its best moments could never rescue. The blind, the lame, the deaf, those even even raised the dead. But he went deeper still. He became the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He walked right into the injustice we fear, even an unjust death on a cross. But God's purpose was to use his death to satisfy his justice for all human injustices ever committed. 
even ours, yours and mine. And through, res- through his resurrection, through faith in him, we're given new life and the status of just, righteous before God, with all of God's people. So wait, hope and trust. Don't stumble because Jesus doesn't do what you think he should in your life right now or in the world around us. He will restore the world. He'll bring in the new creation. But let him do it his way, the truly righteous way in his time. This is the surprise of Christmas. And this is the surprise that changes everything. Amen.